You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. And so uh, you are a people of worth. A lot of the things that I'm going to be preaching, I'm going to be preaching to the choir. And you are the choir in front of me because you are a people of worth. And so uh, we want to kind of bring an encouragement of a heart motivation that there is. Uh, this is the type, of Jesus, uh, the type of people that Jesus is actually looking for. So in the book of Matthew chapter uh, 10, we'll get right into it. Again, uh, in verse 9 to verse 11, it says this. Do not, let any, uh, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, no extra shirt or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Then it says, whatever town or village you enter, it says, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greetings. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. And it says, if it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than uh, for that town. Now, one of the points that we made is that when they became followers of Jesus and they dropped their nets, they dropped their business, you had tax collectors, they would have left their business, which in many cases was actually quite lucrative. So we had those, depending on their socioeconomic status, Uh, they began to leave everything in order to follow after them. So that means that their security came from following after Jesus. That is to say, Jesus actually was taking care of his staff of 12. And mind you, for example, like Peter, Peter was someone who actually had a mother-in-law. That means he had a wife, uh, potentially, of course, children. Uh, In fact, when the uh, disciples were so bold to shush off the children and leave him alone, in which Jesus said, no, forbid not the children, let them come unto me. And then he began to bless them. That would have been their own children, many scholars believe. And so we understand that the 70 that was around him, Jesus would have taken care of them because they had left everything that they knew of in order to follow after this rabbi, this teacher, and more than a mentor. Uh, today's culture and society looks for mentors, but Jesus is actually looking for disciples. And uh, don't think that they are the same. Uh, They are completely different. Uh, Discipleship is leaving your agenda to follow after his agenda. Mentorship is about you trying to attach yourself to somebody in which you can get something from them. So this is why we have business mentors. We have different mentors, and there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, per se. Uh, Just oftentimes within the church, we're looking for mentorship, but that's not the the process of the kingdom. The process of the kingdom is not mentorship, it's discipleship, and there is a difference. Mentorship, you go in there with your agenda, okay? And with a discipleship, you're going in for someone else's agenda. So the very premise and the motivation is completely different. So, uh, and again, there's nothing wrong with mentorship, you know, for those of you who are in business or in school or those type of things, you want those who are willing to pour out and bring instruction into your life. Uh, But please don't conflate, or I should say confuse the two, thinking that they're both uh, the same thing as if it's just a verbiage, a semantics issue. It is not. The motivations are completely different. And I think this is one of the reasons why you don't see the power of God so strongly is because people uh, go after people with a mentorship mentality rather than a discipleship mentality because discipleship is not my agenda, it's your agenda, which is what we see here. When Jesus began to sit there and instruct them, he said, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to those who are the pagans. Why? Because Jesus was actually called to the lost sheep of Israel. So a mentorship mentality would say, hey, can you lay your hands on me? Can my, your anointing come upon me so that I can go to the Gentiles or I can go to the people where I want to minister to rather than me fulfill your ministry? Do you kind of see the difference? It's very important because there's a mentorship mentality that invades into the church that is not kingdom. Okay, mentorship is about you uh, seeking a gift or uh, all these things, but it's to basically do what you want to do, and that is not the purpose of it. Amen. So, discipleship is about you following after how can you serve, and then out of that, there will be a release. 
The point that I want to make here is when Jesus began to release them to fulfill the ministry that he had, that is to go into uh, those who are considered the lost sheep of Israel, now he begins to say, don't take anything with you. Why is that? Because up to this time, they would have known what it is to follow Jesus and have a carefree life. Okay, he's the one. I'm following after the rabbi. So now, therefore, uh, because I am following him, he is going to care for me. So they would have learned to live to be detoxed from the systems of the world of having to shuck and the jive and the climb the corporate ladder and all the things that we do in order to be concerned about getting these things. It's the very same exact principle that we see in the Old Testament that when they came out of Egypt, what was God instructing them to do? Every morning they were to get up and what did they find out on the ground when the dew came down? They found manna. So, of course, what we see that he was trying to do is get Egyptian thinking outside of them. They came out of Egypt, but how many know while you're in Egypt, Egyptian thinking becomes the strongholds of your mind so that when you come into the wilderness, he wants to detox you from the system. In other words, as I've said many a times, he got you out of the ghetto, but he now needs to get the ghetto outside of you. Okay, and the process of it is you live day to day. And how do we know that it was living on the inside of them? Because they did not obey God for when Moses instructed them, he said, take enough just for that day. Don't carry anything over. In other words, it was a hoarding mindset. What is a hoarding mindset? Write this down. It is a poverty mentality. How many have ever seen hoarders? Okay, you are seeing an expression of Egyptian thinking. In other words, I may not have enough for tomorrow, so I'm going to hoard. So it's all about self-preservation rather than the giving of your life. Okay? And so that's what the wilderness was all about, was detoxing you from uh, Egyptian strongholds and mentalities that are there while you are in the ghettos of enslavements. And so we see the same principle right here. You've lived with me, you've followed me, and I've cared for you, but now I want you to take a step of faith. This indeed was a step of faith for them to go out and go, okay, well, uh, he supplied me. I'm now on mission according to what he wants me to do. So therefore, if I'm doing what Jesus wants me to do, I can be assured that he is the one who is going to provide me. You see, you have to be concerned for your life when it's all about you. But when you are following him and his dictates and his desires, you can be assured that he will take care of you because you're not doing your will. You're doing the will of him who sent you. And everyone says. So we see here. And how do we know this? Because Jesus, before he leaves the earth, he says, when I sent you out. Did you lack anything? In other words, he wants to refresh their memory because he wants the right strongholds, if you will, inside of them. And what is that? The strongholds of he is your provider. That even as I sent you on my behalf and I didn't hold your hand while you went to go preach, that when I sent you out, you lacked nothing. So likewise, I'm going to be taken from you. And just as I instructed you and just as you proved God's faithfulness in your life the father provided for you when i leave this earth you can go and you can continue to uh, be a blessing to the world and this is the reason why he further says hey you don't have a sword bring two of them you don't have a cloak and he, what does he do he's saying bring things with you why is that because they've now been trusted with nothing so that now the uh, the father can be a provider on their behalf and he knows that now because you've been tested if you will you've gone through the wilderness and you've learned how to live from day to day when i give you a lot of manna and i give you a lot of provision you will not be a hoarder but when I breathe upon you, hey, that second cloak, why don't you give it? You won't have the mindset. Yeah, but what happens about this if I don't, right? In other words, all of a sudden, Egyptian thinking begins to manifest in your life, and it begins to direct your course of life. Now, when the Holy Spirit breathes upon you, you don't have that stronghold that says, hello, I'm here. No, self-preservation, hoard it. You'll be able to do it because you'll know who is your, indeed your provider. And everyone says... And listen, in our state of the union here in our nation, we're time, whether you like it or not, we're kind of declining in a power of wealth that we have. And then we're going to have an increase of wrong mentalities as we go in kind of an Egyptian type of a mindset. 
You know, before we, we have all kinds of securities, not just social security, but security blankets. If, you, if you're hungry, uh, if you will, there's, there's places where you can go. There are food banks in which no one really should get hungry. But as we see depletion in all these sources, this nation's going to have to return back to Jesus being the provider rather than just the work of our hands and come to the place in the revelation to where we know that his blessing needs to be upon the work of our hands, not just we got these things because because of the work of our hands and everyone says so we want to continue on with this obviously this is an instruction of discipleship and I want to look at this next thing because it says here it says whatever town or village you enter search if you notice I actually emboldened it uh, underlined it and italicized it right there I wanted it to pop out to you because we want you to notice first of all that when he sends you it's not just about the location that you're sent to but it's about the people that you're sent to. So in Matthew chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. He sent them to, uh, to uh, Bethlehem and said, go and search. In other words, I'm showing you where this actual word search is actually in the scripture because I want you to see how it's actually used in other places. And here we have, and this is uh, uh, that political leader Herod, he said, he sent them, who? The Magi to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully. Say carefully. It says, for the child, this was Jesus, as soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And of course, he was a liar and he was conniving and cunning and he wasn't interested in worshiping. He was interested in destroying the child. But I want you to notice that in a sense, he was sending the Magi as missionaries, and the missionaries uh, were wise enough not to follow the instructions of Herod in this particular case. But I notice, notice this, he sent him to an area in order to search for a particular type of a person. You see, you have to understand that you as a spiritual person on task for Christ, it isn't just about uh, the location that you're sent to, it's also about your attachment to other people. Just as he was looking for a certain type of a person of a certain type of an age, we are to be spirit because we are spiritual beings, we are to have spiritual engagements with people and your life is attached to people and people's lives are attached to you. So we see here uh, the mission. Here's the first principle that I want you to show if you'd show this up here. The mission is not just about a place, but about a person. You see, the objective isn't just about the location, but about the living. Often in missions, we cheer uh, uh, about the, 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 the location. In other words, we begin to cheer layers. Hey, we're going to Trinidad. Amen. How many went to Trinidad that were here? Okay. A few of you are here. How many have gone overseas with us on mission? Okay. Uh, some of you have gone on mission with us. Oftentimes, we're, we're going here, and we begin to champion, and we begin to cheerlead the location. But a spiritual person doesn't just cheerlead the location. What he does is he cheerleads and begins to uh, go beyond, I should say, cheerleading, and understands that it's not just about the location, but what do you do at the location? In other words, when, just like the Magi were sent, go and search for a particular person. What was important? The location? Yes, it was uh, the importance. But what was more important was the end result of finding the baby. And so likewise, as Christians, as we are sent, even as Jesus instructed his own disciples, don't go in the way of the Gentiles. But I feel led. No, don't go there. So he directs them to the location, but he goes beyond just going to the location. He begins to tell them what you're actually to search for. So searching isn't just about the location. What do you search for when you get to the location becomes the next question. And oftentimes social media has framed just it about going to the location. And, I, and I'm, listen, I'm guilty of that too. I don't know about you, but I watch YouTube in which you see these YouTubers and these influencers. How many have seen those in which the, you got the foodies? They go to the different food groups. And, you know, I, I like, for example, I think it was Mark. I forget his last name right now. He's like, oh, you know, he's got this big expressions. He goes to these different places in Malaysia. And I've been to some of those places he's been to. And he tries all the different types of foods and and oftentimes what can happen is we make just a dating with the culture the primary thing that we go there for 
So we make it about cultural experiences rather than a spiritual experience and an exploration in order to be on task with God. And with the advent of social media, oftentimes it just comes, it comes in, even in the church, it's influence, it becomes about a cultural experience. Well, I'm just there to, to experience the culture. And listen, there's nothing wrong with experiencing the culture, but when you experience the culture, you have to understand that there is a higher priority. It's not just you solically engaging with that culture, it's about you spiritually engaging with that culture. In other words, it's a higher priority that the, what's the reason why I'm going into a particular culture is, is for the purpose of searching for a certain type of a people, and everyone says. So again, often in missions, we cheerlead the location that we're going on, so we make it a cultural experience with a spiritual touch when it should be a spiritual endeavor with a cultural touch. Did you just hear what I said? You know, I even talked with teacher Adam and his, uh, his forefathers came from, and I'm not sure if it was your dad also, it was at least your, 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 before them, they came from Singapore. And so we always talk about Singapore. He's been to Singapore himself and to Malaysia. And we sit there and we talk about, oh, beef rendang. And we talk about, you know, chicken rice and we got uh, mihoon and fried mihoon and durian hello the king of the fruits and most of you are like oh my goodness you know they're like no thank you no thank you it was one of the jokes that we had that as a westerner and as an american if you like um uh, uh durian that you must be called there because if you didn't like it you know you're like anybody know what durian is who does not know what durian is okay durian is called the king of the fruit over there and they say it tastes like heaven but it smells like hell and so they don't even allow it in taxi cabs. They don't allow it on airplanes. They don't allow it. I'm not joking. They don't allow it in hotels. They won't allow you to bring it in because it smells like that. So, oh, it's beautiful. Oh, anyways, I'm getting lost there. But we'll sit there and we'll talk about all these cultural things. But that's not the primary reason why we go is to have a cultural experience. We're there for a spiritual endeavor. And everyone says... And why is that important? Because when you do that, how many know if you don't understand and recognize the spiritual endeavor, when you come back to the home where God has planted you, you won't be on task there. You see, this is why we, we incentivize and we want to bring you out on mission. Why? Because we want to get you into the spiritual endeavor so that when you come back to your homeland, you're like, oh, we're back to the grind again. No, 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 no. Remember, it was not, never about the cultural exchange. It wasn't just about the cultural touch. What was it about? It was about lifting you up to a higher plane to make mistakes even in a culture in which they won't judge you because you're going to be gone anyways. Come on, are you here? This is the reason why sometimes in our own culture in which we're planted, we won't step out in faith and spiritually endeavor. And that's the reason why I'll bring you overseas so that you can go and make mistakes. And then you find out, oh my goodness, this really does work. Yeah, now do it at home at the place of your planting. To where you've gotten used to the culture, we want you to learn how to step out of faith in the safety of being in another culture with no reprisals at all so that when you go back, now do what you did overseas and don't just make it about the cultural, stain, uh, a, a, a cultural exchange, but now produce spiritual endeavors in the place where God has planted you, where you're already used to that culture. Come on, are you here? Amen. And everyone says amen. All right. So here's the next one. You ready for this one? This one's going to be, I can tell you already, this is going to be one of those like, mm, I'll probably get an email on this one. The disciples were to be discriminatory, okay? Now, we're not talking about discrimination within the tribal systems of the earth. You know what I'm talking about. We're not talking about ethnic discrimination or tribal discrimination or political discrimination. Those are systems of the earth. That's not what I'm talking about. The earth is becoming increasingly polarized, especially here in our nation. I think all of us who have two eyeballs can see that. You'd have to be blind not to see the polarization and the divide that's occurring. We're not talking about that. Uh, and even in the areas of political divide, I don't know if you're aware of that, but even Jesus himself had the ability to speak to people even within different systems of polarization within the earth. This is why, for example, he had the zealots, Peter and the, the James and John. They were of the, the political right, if you will. In fact, they wanted to overthrow Rome. Uh, I've taught this many of times. So they were almost like the conservatives of today. 
you know, instead of the Constitution, they had the law of Moses that says, no, we're not supposed to be subjugated, we're to be our own nation. And so they were against the globalists or the Romans. Come on, are you here? And so they were people who are to the right. This is the reason why even uh, he pulls out the sword at the end. I'll never let this happen to you and begins to uh, throw down the sword. If you will, he pulls out his guns. He's a Second Amendment type of a guy. And so Jesus had that on staff. But how many know he also had tax collectors? Tax collectors were part of the globalist system. They were part of the Roman system. And uh, there was even assassinations by the extreme zealots of the tax collectors because they considered them Benedict Arnold's. How dare you betray your ethnic Jewish people for the sake of working on behalf of Rome? And so they were like the leftists, if you will. So you had the right and you had the left, and both of them were on the ministry staff of Jesus. So, and I could, t- you know, I won't tell you where Jesus stood, but for sure he was over to the right. But what was my point in this? There were people that were not actually part of the system. They were part of the system, but their identity did not come from the system. They recognized that when Jesus, when he said something that smacked the right, they could transcend and see the truth of what he was saying. He could also smack people to the left. And even though they may have had their associations with the left, their identity wasn't in the left. And so this is why our job is Christians to be of the kingdom and we transcend cultures and we transcend the systems of the world so that when we speak, people go, yeah, he smacked my people, but I know he's speaking truth. I know he smacked my position to the left, but I recognize truth. My identity is not part of tribal thinkings of this earth. I understand he speaks from a different plane. He speaks truth and he speaks by the kingdom of God. Come on, are you here? And so that's what they were thirsting and that's what they went after, even though Jesus smacked to the right and he smacked to the left. That's why one of the things that the Spirit of God spoke to me, don't worry about what people see or don't always be trying to qualify it because my people will hear what you're saying. And even if you make mistakes when you speak, they'll be able to see the truth inside of what you're saying. And those who really want truth will be able to see your heart in all those things. That's why sometimes I don't, there are many a times I qualify things, but there's a lot of times I don't. I just let it sit and simmer so that those who have their identity not in the kingdom, but in the systems of the world, I'm going to let it quirk you up and you have to make a decision what you're going to do. You're going to either identify with your quirk and your anger and your bitterness and all these devils that are inside of you and you'll allow it to drive you out or you'll repent, get right and come into the place where God wants you to be. And everyone says, all right. So as I stated, even Jesus himself didn't show political discrimination with the zealots and with the tax collectors. Uh, A worthy person may be associated with a system, but their identity doesn't come from that system. You see, when an unworthy person feels you attack their system, they feel you attack them personally. Why? Because their identity proceeds from that system. Your identity is not found in those systems. It's not found in the tribalism of those systems. Your identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. You may have associations, but your identity is not to come from those associations. You'll end up dying. There's no life that is found within those systems. The only life that you can find is found in Christ himself. And everyone says... You see, our life is a witness to the worthy as well as to the unworthy. You know, in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, it says this, they, who were they? This is what's called the chapter or the hall of faith. So it's talking about people of faith. They were put to death by stonings. How many would like that calling? Okay, not many of us. All of us want to believe for more houses and bigger cars and Bentleys and all these things. It's always amazing what Americans will cherry pick as their prosperity scriptures that they put up on their refrigerators. It says they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. How many would like that calling? Okay, you don't want the calling of a prophet, I guess. It says they were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskins and destitute and persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. These were all commended for their faith. You see, my job is not just to seek out those who are worthy and begin to train them up and begin to release the anointing and the grace and to build up as all of us are called to do. 
but our life is also to be a, a witness to the unworthy. And many of us don't think of it that way because at the end of this age, when we all stand before God, he will judge the unworthy and say, here was a worthy person. Here was the worthy people within the house of God that came to witness to you and began to share the word of God to you, began to preach and began to teach. And this is how you malign them. And this is, requires an incredible amount of strength that comes because you know where your worth comes from. When your worth is found in Christ, you can do all these things because you have an eternal perspective, not a temporal perspective. So many of us are just so hooked up and juiced up by the systems of this world. This is why when you unveil it and you begin to strip it, you find out there are, people are so insecure. They're full of fear. And no matter what kind of image, and we're living in an image-driven society and culture with influence and social media and all these things, it's all a facade. It's all fake. It's all fake. All these influences, it's all fake. They have no strength inside of them because they get their strength and source from the things that are connected to the earth. They're not connected to heaven. And everyone says. Let's look at the next one. A worthy person is a person who prioritizes. Next one, guys. A worthy person is a person who prioritizes the kingdom above self and family. Again, put that up there, guys. It says, a worthy person is a person who prioritizes the kingdom above self and family. Now, in Luke chapter 14, verse 26, it says, if anyone, say anyone, anyone, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sister, yes, even their own, what? Life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So with a worthy person, it's in a person of of outstanding character. That's the person. If anyone comes to me, does not hate. How many know that's a heavy word? How many know that when Jesus made this statement, this would have uh, uh, corked people up because it would have went against one of actually the Ten Commandments, which is to uh, the commandment in the Old Testament to honor your father and mother, and with it comes long life. So when he makes this statement, obviously it's hyperbole. You don't literally hate them, but in other words, you are so more invested in fulfilling the will and the word of God that all those other social apparatus as well as those systems that you're connected to and the ones that you're most connected to become secondary, not chief within your life. Are you here? That's where the life is at, my friend. Your life is not found by being hooked up and juiced up by the systems of the world. And the world doesn't understand that because they're looking to shuck and jive and to do this and do that and increase themselves, their values, but their value system is connected to the earth. Their value system is not connected to heaven. And everyone says, in fact, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48, this is when the family, literally the family of Jesus, they're looking, the place is uh, crowded and uh, they said, hey, he replied, he said, uh, to them, hey, your, your family's here. In other words, where's the VIP row? Okay, the place was packed out. They came a little bit late to the meeting. And then this is what Jesus replied. He replied to them, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Verse 50, powerful. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and my mother. So you see, he brings a reprioritizing of who is actually to be close and knitted. And this is people he would have searched out a people of worth. Not all the times the people, you know, we are to give honor to, to even, you know, I know uh, many of you have, uh, have, you are Christians, but maybe you're first, you're first generation Christians. And so nonetheless, you still love and you give honor and things like that. But there's a reprioritizing of your life to those who are you are in relationship with now because you serve a different agenda. It's not your own agenda or family's agenda or that agenda, etc. You are serving the agenda that comes from heaven. I love the movie Luther. I don't know. Do you have a picture of this? I love how many of you have ever seen the movie Luther? I believe it was in 2003. Uh, he actually, the reason why I love the movie Luther is because it actually shows this principle within the movie. Uh, he had two fathers, if you will, his early father who labored in the mines for 20 years. 
You see him, he's down in the bottom right-hand side. That's a picture of him there. And he worked in the mines for 20 years, and uh, you know he labored and everything so that he could hand the baton and the legacy so that Luther could actually have a better life. And he wanted him to go to, I believe it was to law school he wanted him to go to. And of course, uh, his dad didn't like that because all of a sudden he wanted to become an Augustinian monk. And so he's like, I labored all this time. And so, of course, Luther turns to his father and says, this is the will of God. This is the will of God. He goes, ah, it's not the will of God. You think some lightning burns your ass? He says, arse. Because he had a lightning bolt. A lightning bolt burns your arse, and you think it's God? That's more like the devil. Is that how you interpret honor thy father and mother? In other words, you're going to do what you want to do. And so it was manipulation, of course. Uh, but we know that Luther had to fulfill what he felt. And this is the reason why he was the great reformer. And oftentimes we just say he was a great person. But notice it's because he prioritized correctly. He was doing what he knew to do. So could he have he yielded to the pressures and the manipulations of his dad just simply to go to law school in order to have a better life? But how many know he chose right and he truly had the better life? And everyone says... His second father was a father within the Augustinian order that was there. And there was a point in which his spiritual men mentor told him, he said this, this is him right here, and he's serving him by cutting his hair and everything, which are funny. I wouldn't advise getting a haircut like that. Just kidding. Uh, but he's sitting there, and he says, Martin, you're tearing the world apart. So he's trying to advise him. You know, you're too much of a, 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 too much. And he grabs his hand and says, when you sent me out so boldly to world, into the world to change it, did you not think it would come with a cost? And so he realized right then and there, he could have yielded to what his mentor was saying rather than seeing what was the grace that was upon him to change the world, and he's considered one of the great ones, even outside of the religious system that brought about the Protestant, Rever uh, the Protestant uh, 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 Reformation as we understand it to Germany, and then there were, of course, other reformers throughout the various nations that changed the landscape of Europe from that time further, forever, beyond that point, and everyone says. But again, what is this? This is the principle of you loving God first and foremost with great fervency above even the closest associations and systems of the earth. Many people, oh God, I want to be used by you powerfully. Think about what, the, what you're thinking when you say some stupid statement like that. You think it's going to come on, on a path of daisies and a, on a path of rose petals. No, I'm telling you, it's going to be more like bob wire and thorns. That's what it's going to be. Oh, 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 oh. No, it's not going to come like that. You think the devil's going to sit there and allow you to come with some powerful anointing that just routes his kingdom like that and everything's just going to open up and you're just going to be, it's so wonderful. You know, heaven's going to open up and oh, it's going to be an easy path for you. We're here in a war. There are landmines all over the place. Bob wires all over the place. Devils that want to sit there and torpedo and bring a disgrace to the kingdom of God. And you think you're just going to kind of skip through it. Oh, this is so wonderful. It's not going to happen that way. You're fooling yourself. And everyone says. Amen. And we need this type of worthy people in our culture, in our society today, that are willing to even, like the Apostle Paul in the early church, to turn the world upside down. Worthy people turn the world upside down. Today's culture is so weak that when we even shake it a little bit, oh, the world's coming against me. You're a little bit of shaking. And you think you're going to turn it upside down. I like what it says in the Old Testament with regards to one of the prophets. It says, you know, you, 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 you faint in the day of battle. You know, and you are meant to actually run with chariots and horses. It's, you're like you're crawling. You, can, you, don't, you don't have any capacity. People of worth understand and prioritize the kingdom of God. And everyone says. In Acts chapter 13, verse uh, 46, it says this. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly. We had to speak the word of God to you first since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy 
of eternal life. Now we turn to the Gentiles. And here's the next principle, right, up here. It says, a worthy person prioritizes kingdom purpose above cultural preferences. How many know in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. Amen. Paul doesn't labor to convert the calloused. Okay? So we see here, oftentimes I find that people want to stay connected to a people because of the cultural uh, familiarity as well as the comfort that they get from that culture. So they minister to a certain type of a people because they feel comfortable with them. They know how to get along in it and they have a certain social ranking. But the Apostle Paul, even though he was of the tribe of Benjamin, even though he was a Jew, he was blameless. He had, in other words, he had a high social ranking within his own race amongst his own people. And yet he was willing to disconnect from that in order to go to a people he was nothing like. Why? Because he prioritized the kingdom. Because a worthy person prioritizes kingdom purpose above cultural preferences. And everyone says. We use the example. I love the the example of uh, our leader, Jamie. Uh, Jamie, when she was ministering, Uh, Jamie Evans, that is. She was ministering to a bunch of ladies, and she found herself always having to kind of chase after people. And so it was Pastor Wendy that was asking her, well, what about this one lady? Oh, you know what? She always comes up and is always asking me questions. She's always hungry. And so Pastor Wendy said, that's the person. In other words, that's the worthy person. Invest your life in her. And who did that end up becoming? That ended up becoming our beautiful, wonderful worship leader, Emily Bucci. And imagine, with all those sets she was trying to chase, pretty girls and all those things and that kind of whole world and things like that, she was still trying to, but it was a little short Japanese half uh, Jewish girl that she ministered to, and it was a divine connection. Maybe not had a lot in the cultural, maybe there was, but probably not too much in which there was a commonality, yet what was it? a person of work that she connected with. It wasn't based necessarily on culture. Again, Japanese and Jewish. And then you got Jamie over here. But there was a divine exchange by which she came into the kingdom, found her purpose, was raised up, and now she leads with power and with great grace here in the house of God. But some of us are so juiced up and tied up to our own culture that we don't know how to listen to the spirit of God because we get our identity from that said group and it shouldn't be and everyone says you get something out of this let's just go a little bit further in Luke chapter 3 verse 8 it says produce fruit in keeping that word keeping right there is actually worth so in other words produce fruit that, uh, in, in worth or what is considered worthy with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. So what's the principle here? A worthy person is a person who prioritizes the kingdom above their traditions. Above their traditions. It should just say tradition, but that's my bad. So, in other words, they said, hey, we're resting upon our forefathers. And they are the ones, our traditions that justify us, and we are righteous on those things. Okay? And I think uh, some of us, you know, some of you Hispanics that come from a Catholic background, or even my own family back in Chicago, they come from a Catholic background. I know on my mother's side, they were de- lived down in the South, and, you know, they grew up good Baptists, and we got great Baptist family members, even some of them watch online and things like that, and they're actually legitimate. They don't rest in their traditions. They have a relationship with Christ. But how many know you can sit there and have a wrong mentality in which you don't have your... Uh, uh, your, 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 your identity that comes from Christ, but your identity from your traditions. And that when you're challenged on that, well, I'm a Catholic. Well, so that doesn't mean you're righteous just because you claim you're a Catholic. Well, I'm a Baptist. Well, just because you claim to be a Baptist doesn't mean that you actually live according to the spirit of what those Baptist brothers in the past actually laid down their life for. 
Okay, you can't claim your traditions of the past, whatever they may be, to give you your present day righteousness. Okay, that only comes from Christ today. So I don't care if you're Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Protestants. Listen, some of these denominations today in the directions they've gone in, you look at the Lutheran church, the mainline, you look at the Methodist church, which is John Wesley, both those two would turn over in their grave today to see what has happened to those denominations that they birthed. Nothing like what they believed in. In fact, they'd probably pull out the sword and the scourge and start whooping the church today. <laughs> All the sexual orientation. You, th- you, you think, the, I mean, hello, are you out of your mind? John Wesley? Yeah. He was a holiness preacher. And you think he would believe in some of this nonsense that's being preached in his church? You think Luther would believe and preach all this nonsense that's being preached today with all the flags that they're standing under today? You're out of your mind. They turn over in their grave right now. But I'm a Lutheran. But I'm a, you know, I'm a Wesleyan. Or I'm a Methodist. And you claim the traditions of the past rather than claiming Christ for today. And everyone says... Here's another one. In Luke chapter 7, verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. This man, which by the way was a centurion, deserves, that is worthy, same exact Greek word, to have you do this. Okay, now what is the context that is here? This is a centurion, say a centurion. A centurion is a ruler now over Israel. So that means who's in charge? Rome's in charge. So even Jesus, by his own admission, he says, the kings of this world, they lord it over you. But we notice here that he doesn't have a lording mindset. Okay? Why? Because they continued on to say that he is a man who is worthy. Why? Because he has built our uh, church. He's built our synagogues. He loves our nation, and he has built our synagogue or our church. You see, he wasn't just a builder of Rome. He was a builder of the kingdom. So this centurion who's actually a Gentile, who Jesus is actually not called to, actually qualifies as a worthy person. This is why Jesus, who's called to the lost sheep of Israel, actually follows after these guys, trusting their testimony that he's actually worthy. He's not just worthy according to the statutes of Rome. He's actually worthy according to the statutes of our nation and of the kingdom of God. So he goes to follow after him. And this is actually what is amazing. This is the next one. A worthy person is a person who prioritizes the kingdom above their kingly confidence. In other words, you being a king according to the systems of this earth. He's a centurion. He could walk down the street with his, you know, his, uh, what do you call those, the president's men that, uh, secret secret service, thank you. He's walk. they can walk around with their secret service, their big shots. And yet he's not doing it. His confidence was in humility, counterintuitive. He's a worthy man. How do we know? Because he actually ends up sending servants to meet Jesus while he's on the road to go to him. And what was it that he says? He says, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house. This is a soldier of Rome who subjugates who's given tasks, ensure that there's no uprising. And he's the one himself and says, I'm not worthy of you to even come into my house. Truly, this soldier of Rome is a nobleman. Not just because he's a king of this earth, he'll become a king in the kingdom. We don't have noblemen and noble women in our nation anymore. But at least if you're going to be a nobleman, be a nobleman of the kingdom and be the scum of the earth. Certainly don't inverse it. I would rather be a king up in heaven rather than king here on the earth or be scum of the earth rather than be king here in the earth in the scum of heaven. You have to choose what course you follow in your life. And everyone says... Again, let me read. I, you need to read it for yourself. In Luke chapter 7, verse 6 through 9. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion 
sent friends and sent him. Lord, notice he calls him Lord, not rabbi. Says, Lord, don't trouble yourself for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. In other words, I know that me as a centurion soldier, if I meet with you out on the road, I know that your enemies will actually use this engagement in order to bring persecution to you. And because I want to alleviate the persecution that comes to you from your own enemies, let's not even meet. But I know you're the Lord and you're the one who can bring healing. Do you see what's going on? This is the context of the scripture that makes it pop and give life to us an application today. So watch this. He says, that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority. That would have been Roman authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes. And that one, come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, says, heard this, says, when he heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd, following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith, even in Israel. In other words, wow, he's not just a soldier of Rome. If you will, he's a soldier of heaven. He understands, I'm the one that Jesus, if you will, is a spiritual centurion, and I'm subject to you. He has right priorities because he's a man of worth. Not just worth to Rome, but worth to the kingdom. And everyone says, oh, hallelujah. Today, we need soldiers, not of Rome, not soldiers of this earth. We need soldiers of the kingdom of God. And everyone says, did you get something out of that? Why don't you stand to your feet? You are a people of worth in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. Father, again, we just thank you and we praise you and we glorify you. Father, we thank you. And we ask you, Spirit of God, even as you sent your disciples out to search for some worthy person. We stand in your presence and we say, search us right now, O God. We say, we make a commitment to you, O God, that we would position ourselves with outstanding character to be a people of worth, that indeed from heaven, with all humility, even as a centurion, that we would be picked out from heaven, O God, to be used as an instrument of you in this day and in this hour, O God. We say that you and you alone have the ability to do that work within our life, O God. Just begin to lift up your voice right now. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you and we bless you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, we thank you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. Oh, we thank you. We thank you, Spirit of God. We thank you, Spirit of God. Father, where there are areas within our life, oh God, we ask you, Holy Spirit, even right now, just put the spotlight on even for those that are watching online as well as those that are in person are there areas within our life oh God we ask you to examine our hearts even as we examine ourselves to see if we be found in the faith spirit of God if we've relied upon traditions of men in the past and we prioritize those things we say we repent right now We've been convicted. We see it. Where we prioritize, even family, even our own life, our own agendas, oh God. We say thank you for illuminating that to us. We'll make a shift and we'll make a change. We know it will be go beyond just coming to an altar and make a commitment. 
but we say we make a commitment when we leave the four walls of this church, oh God, to bring changes, to reprioritize our life, oh God. For some that are here, it may be a money issue. You prioritize certain things with your money and you place value in those things and uncertain riches. We thank you, Spirit of God, that you cause us to reprioritize even in the areas of our finances, our treasures, because we know that where our treasure is, there's where our heart is at. So we reprioritize, oh God, even our treasures, oh God, to reflect that which is going on on the inside of us, oh God. Because we want to be found in you, oh God. We prioritize the kingdom with regards to our finances. We reprioritize with regards to culture, oh God, and cultural preferences where you've moved upon us to maybe even reach out to talk to a neighbor that doesn't look like us, speak like us, talk like us, that maybe has a different color of skin, maybe even speaks a different language. And the only common language between us is Spanish or English. But we thought, no, I don't want to. They're not like me. We prioritize the kingdom even over our cultural preferences, oh God. We thank you, Spirit of God, that you're broadening in us, causing us to be a people of worth, oh God. That we can be chosen by you, oh God. We know that we're called. In fact, many are called. But few are indeed chosen. And it's worthy people, oh God, that you choose. And we say we want to position ourselves to be chosen by you. We want to be worthy within your sight. And it's actually a work that only comes from you, oh God. So that's the cry and the prayer of our heart, oh God. That you would do the work necessary as we surrender ourselves to you. That you may have your perfect work done inside of us. And it's in your mighty name, Jesus, we ask all these things. And everyone in agreement says, oh, hallelujah. Amen. Put your arms around you. Squeeze real tight. That's a hug from Pastor Robert. Go forth in God's great work. Amen. You're listening to the Freedom House Podcast. We're a house that will empower you in your walk with Christ to get free, live free, and set others free. This is our Sunday service series. For more information, go to FHUS.org. Enjoy. Enjoy.